1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner
2: Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We've got a good one in store today coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk with business coach Chris Westfall about a new book that uh, delivers 60 clear-cut ideas for handling crises, career setbacks, loss, grief, and more so we can heal ourselves, our companies, and our culture. The book is called Easier. And uh, again, i uh, that's coming up in a couple hours. And uh, in the middle, uh, the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with um, the author of a new book called Treading the Deep, written by Command Sergeant Major Bradley Jones. And... Um, it talks about uh, a journey to leadership and, and how that can be applied to everyone. But first, we're going ra- to tangle with a, uh, a mystery, uh, a new summer mystery thriller, if you will, uh, from Penny Gochin. And it just came out in uh, paperback this month. It's called The Woman Underwater. And Penny joins me by phone. Good morning, Penny. Welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, Tom. Thanks. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here.
2: Uh, Penny, can we... Uh, there are so many things I want to ask you about just from reading a, a tiny little bit about you. Um, but but let's start with, with the book. Can you give a, a... just a brief synopsis of the book without uh, having any spoiler alerts?
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the the woman underwater is a uh, it's a standalone. I, uh, you don't have to have read any of my previous books uh, to read this one, and it is set in Connecticut. Uh, the main character, uh, Victoria Sands, uh, she um, well, she's probably like, she's in like her mid fifties, but uh, the story opens. And her husband has been missing for almost seven years. And in the state of Connecticut, um, a person cannot be declared dead uh, uh, before seven years unless uh, you have irrefutable proof that, in fact, the person has passed. Uh, So the story opens, and she's almost at the seven-year mark. Everyone around her is trying to consents her to you know, snap out of it and, and realize that, you know, he's gone. Um, but she refuses to believe that she's gone. He's gone. Uh, he, she's convinced that he's out there somewhere. Uh, but uh, he was a teacher at a private all-boys uh, boarding school in Connecticut, and he disappeared on a field trip with the boys uh, to New York City uh he disappeared without a trace no one no one seems to know uh where you know what happened uh no uh, no credible evidence has been collected no witnesses have stepped forward uh they haven't even found his car um and of course you know at, at the 7 year mark uh the you know what leads the police had are now ice cold he just simply vanished without a trace um but she... You know, she's convinced he's still out there. And uh, the only thing is the, their son now attends that school, and that infamous field trip is on the school calendar. It's coming up, and he, he wants to go on it. And what about
2: the, the other kids that went on that field trip? Because it, it kind of sounds to me like he never came back from that field trip. Did they lose a whole class?
1: No, it was just him. It was just him that disappeared because he had um, he'd actually gone down early, like the the night before with the headmaster of the school uh, because they had some meetings at uh, a couple museums in the morning, so they wanted to get an early start and um, and so they had they had you know separate transportation. Um, so he never he never ended up catching up. Or, you know, connecting with the kids on the field trip, he he disappeared before he could do that.
2: And when was he discovered missing, as part of the field trip, or a couple days later <laughs> when he never
1: came back? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was um, at the end of the day. Uh, I think when the headmaster went looking uh, for him in the hotel room, uh, his suitcase was still there, and uh, but. He, he was nowhere to be found. So it was at the end of the day. Uh, so that the, the students were fine, but he just simply vanished and thin in there.
2: Now, you mentioned that this, alt, uh, that this school was in Connecticut, and you mentioned mm-hmm. it a couple of times. And uh, yeah. it makes me wonder, how important is the location?
1: Well, in, in my books, uh, the location is incredibly important. In fact, I start with the setting. Um, like, I've got, uh, I've got three books in a, a mystery series set on the coast of Maine. Um, they're what I call the Precipice Mystery Series because they all have precipice in the name. And it's, um, the, the inn is set on the um, – it's an old family inn set on the coast of Maine, on this precipice, you know, looking out over the ocean. So the setting there is very important. Um, I have a, a couple of other books that are set in the Caribbean. And, again, with the, you know, the tropical breezes blowing through the palm trees and the, uh, the, tur- the warm turquoise water uh, as a, a backdrop, uh, that setting is very important. So, um, but I think also with um, The Woman Underwater, Connecticut is important. Although I I have to admit, it it kind of came in. I had a lot of Connecticut readers because I'm, you know, originally from Connecticut. I've spent you know more time there than anywhere else. I was born there. Um, I had a lot of Connecticut readers ask me, "Well, when are you going to set a a novel in Connecticut?" So I thought, "Well, I really should. I should do that." So when I was, you know, I, I get my inspiration from the setting and you know, when I got to thinking about, you know, where I lived and, and uh, the town there and, um, and what was around it. And and there is a private uh, all boys boarding school. In fact, our two boys went there. So, um, so I've got a, a real strong tie with that campus and, and the feel of it. And it's, it's this really cool, it looks like something out of Harry Potter. And, because <laughs> um, the, the buildings are made out of uh, brownstone, and it looks like a, a quaint English village. It really is, is, is quite something, and I think in fact, um, several years ago they were um, the, uh, the movie makers were actually looking at the campus to, as a possible setting for the mo- I mean, one of the movies, so it's just it's a very iconic setting and it just it seemed like the perfect place to to you know to set a disappearance like this and um but yeah i think you know, just the whole new england vibe um, you know it, it's set in the in the fall so you've got the, the the cooling temperatures you've got the the leaves starting to change and um there's one scene where the um where victoria goes on a helicopter ride and and you know, starting to see the the leaves changing. So so I think you know this one really needed to to be set in in Connecticut, or at least New England, um, to have that that feel of the you know the the fall and and, and the, the the private boarding school. it just it just all seemed to fit.
2: It's just interesting, Penny, that you don't set all your books there. And and the only reason I say that is because a lot of writers I've talked to tend to write, um, to, to place the stories they write in an area that they are extremely familiar with, that they, you know, grew up in or have lived a long time because they know some of the landmarks and, and some of the local... Uh, uh uh urban legends and so on.
1: Yes. And that that is true. And that's that's what I do as well. Um there uh, locals will notice a couple of landmarks in this one. But the other places that I've written about are places that are near and dear to my heart as well. Um like the, the main setting for the this series. Uh, my mother grew up in Maine and my grandmother always, you know, lived there her, her whole life. And all of our um, summer family vacations, we would drive to Maine to visit my grandmother, no matter where we were living. Um, I mean, there were years we were, we were living in Indiana, so we would take three days to drive to Maine, but we couldn't wait to get there to visit her. And then while we were there, we would take... She lived in uh, central Maine, so we would take day trips and, and head down to the coast. And I, as a young child, I just I fell in love with the coast of Maine. And so when my... When I was sitting to write my first book, it just was a very natural setting for me to to select for a, a murder mystery, and so it's a it's a place that I know very well. We, I, we, my husband and I, actually my husband uh, grew up going to Maine too, and we brought our children there during the summers, and we continue to go. I'm I'm leaving on on, on Sunday to go to go up to Maine and do some signings up there. But um, so that's that's a place that's. Uh, very close to me and then the caribbean setting you know we've you know over the years you know i early on i discovered uh the virgin islands and I fell in love and we just kept going back year after year after year and it was on one of those trips that i was starting i always take my computer with me or at least a pad of paper when i travel and so i happened to be sitting out on a on the 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 patio or on the, the porch looking out onto the turquoise water. And I was trying to write the sequel to my first precipice novel that was set in Maine. And it just wasn't working. Um, <laughs> you're looking, you know, being in the Caribbean. So, um, but then all of a sudden this other storyline just kind of crashed through my head. And, and, and it, the characters were some of the people I had um, gotten to know in, uh, in uh, on on St. Thomas so I quickly I had a pad of paper on my lap so I quickly flipped the page and just started jotting down everything that was you know I was uh, thinking of and but then I had a dilemma I had I was you know part way through this sequel to this uh, novel set in Maine but then I had this really juicy uh uh, you know uh, Caribbean mystery that I was trying to figure out which one was I going to do and when I came back to Connecticut to Keep writing. It was the middle of winter, so I thought, okay, I'd rather be writing about the Caribbean while I'm (laughs) looking out the the window at the snow. So that's how that one, you know, kind of got wedged in there. Because sometimes the story demands to be written, and even if I thought I was going to write something else, it just keeps keeps after me, and and then I have to just okay, let me get this one down, and I can get back (laughs) to the other one. So, but yes, to, to to your point. Setting, you know is very important in all my books and um and i do write um about places that i just absolutely love and and the, the next one that i'm working on is another place that i have fallen in love with and that's charleston south carolina so um, so that's that's to come
2: and where um where do you live now
1: uh, we we split our time between Connecticut and, and South Carolina, but we we're mostly in South Carolina. Uh, like we're we're up here in Connecticut uh, for the summer, uh, but I do go back and forth quite a lot. Uh, we you know we've got family here and and uh, so forth. But um, but we have we're now uh, officially South Carolina residents
2: in Michigan. We have a lot of people that go back and forth to Florida, and we call them snowbirds. <laughs> yes well i guess i'm a snowbird now <laughs> well it kind of sounds like that um mm-hmm. penny i want to ask you about the uh about the title of the book but i have a break coming up here and there are some other things i want to ask you about writing in general but um yes. can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more yes absolutely i'd love to all right my guest is penny goat let me say this uh, without stumbling mm-hmm. Penny Goatgen, the author of *The Woman Underwater*, and if you're listening to us at at uh, WFOV LP, our voices radio ninety two point one FM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Hearing. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at Tom Sumner we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll have more with Penny Gochin and the Tom Sumner program coming up straight ahead.
1: Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. woo <laughs>
2: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We uh, continue um, my conversation with uh, mystery writer uh, Penny Goatgen, who uh, has a new book. Well, it's out in uh, paperback this month A Woman Underwater. And she joins me by phone. Penny, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. And sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, my pleasure. Um, Penny, in the last segment we were talking about, uh, you shared a little bit of the uh, synopsis of the book, in, um, and, and we talked about the importance of place in uh, telling stories. But um, I mentioned before we went to break that I wanted to bring up the title, because when I first started looking into your book, and I saw that title and, and, and kind of got the... the gist that this was a story about Victoria's long lost husband I automatically I thought he was lost at sea
1: oh okay and so I'm
2: curious how it ended up with the the title the woman underwater
1: well throughout the book there are uh, and, and it can have many meanings obviously but throughout the story there are different ways that she becomes underwater. You know, you can feel like you're underwater. Like when when she first got the news that her her husband was missing, um, she said, you know, it was like she was underwater and she couldn't couldn't move very quickly and and, um, couldn't breathe. And um, so that was one way that she was underwater. And, and then she also has these dreams that she deals with throughout the, um, the story, and she finds herself in and around water in these dreams. And I won't get into any more than that. And, and there are other ways, too, that, um, that, she, that she either feels like she's underwater or there is some sort of... Water that comes into play and can put her in, at times can put her in danger as well. So, um, so it's kind of a multi meaning, um, to the term underwater in the title. Um, but I, I won't go into any more. Yeah, than I, that.
2: I, I'm not <laughs> trying to push you, uh, into mm-hmm. revealing anything. People need to read the book to find out exactly what goes on, but, um, but in some press for the book, it says "new summer mystery slash thriller." How much mystery? How much thriller?
1: Ah, uh, well, you know, it's been described a few different ways. Uh, you know, also contemporary fiction or contemporary suspense. So, I think some of these some of these terms get tossed around, and and people have different thoughts on what they all mean. Um, I think to answer your question, it's. You know a little of you know all three mystery suspense thriller uh it's you know there is there certainly is a lot of suspense you know and it builds you know it it starts out and it builds through the story and resolves at the end uh, and of course you've got the the mystery of you know what happened to her husband Robert, and of course everyone has their own ideas uh And, you know, just, and and one thing that makes her convinced that he is still out there is that um, from the, ever since they've been married, she has always sent, he has always sent her the most beautiful coral-colored roses uh, each year on her birthday. And after he disappeared, they still kept coming. So she sees that as his way of letting her know he's still out there and he's okay. Um, so she's she believes that he is he is coming back and he's out there. But everyone around her is telling her, um, you "No, know, you need to you need to wake up, girl, and and snap out of it and move on with your life. Move on, you know, for your sake and for your. Uh, they have two sons, so um, for the sake of her two sons as well. So, so I think it's it's kind of a few things wrapped up in you know few di- few different terms. You know, um, there I mean there are so many in the mystery category. There's so many uh, ways of describing a story, and sometimes, you know, people refer to it in different ways.
2: Well, usually when we think of uh, mystery, we very very often think of murder mysteries or whodunits, mm-hmm. and, and this sounds uh, quite a bit different than that.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's probably more on the Thriller suspense side of, of things. Gotcha. Um, you know. You said
2: uh, almost um, I, I, emphatically is too strong a word, but very definitely that this was a standalone book. Was your last book part of a series?
1: Um, yeah, the five that I have, three of them, the three that are set in Maine are um, a three part series that will probably be continued, and then the two in um, in the Caribbean are they go together it's a you know the empty chair and then the sequel over the edge uh so and you know totally different storyline totally different characters from the main series so uh yeah so i just i mentioned that just because you know with with five books already out this is a sixth one i i just want people to know that you know they don't have to go back and you know start at the beginning unless they want to but it is a standalone so it's you know brand new storyline brand new characters uh and, um, so
2: yeah. Do you know when you start writing a book that it's going to be a standalone or it's going to be a series? I often ask writers if they get to the end of a book and think, but wait, there's more and it turns into Mm. a trilogy or a series.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think very often you can, you can, I, I think you can take a book further, you know, just about with any book. But, um, you're right. I, I, starting out, you know, my very first book I thought was going to be a standalone. And w- the way I wrote it, it was with a uh, prologue and an epilogue. And I love reading books like that. And the first thing the editor did when she got her hands on it was to delete the prologue and the epilogue. And after I recovered from my, you know, <laughs> my heart attack, <laughs> that I saw, you, know, it, it, you know, especially being the first one, not having been down the road before. And you know, putting you you know, you put your heart and soul into these stories, and you hand it over to an editor, and you just hold your breath and you know, wait to see what comes back. So, I you know, I I kind of figured there would be a lot of uh, revisions, but I wasn't expecting the prologue and epilogue to get slashed. But as it turns out, so I I finally it took me a while to get a couple days to kind of recover from that. Then I realized, okay, Penny, she is a professional; she knows what she's doing. Just go with it. And as it turns out, she was absolutely right, because when I got to the end of the story, we had to rewrite the ending. Um, It left it open for a a continuation. I could write a sequel to it, but the way I had originally written it, it was tied up too neatly, and I couldn't really go very far from there. So she definitely knew what she was doing. Um, Having said that, though, when I wrote The Woman Underwater... And it came back from my editor. This is a different editor. Um, she said, I really think the first chapter should be a, a prologue, and I think the last chapter should be an epilogue. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm finally getting my book and the <laughs> prologue and the epilogue that I've always wanted. And she was right. because you know, just, just the way it's written, the, the first the first chapter really kind of sets things up, and then the last chapter, it kind of closes, it closes thing out the story out and just very neatly um, I think I could still I could you know pull out some characters and and do something out else but it would be something that you wouldn't have to read this one to, to read that one so um, so yeah I, I, it's funny how this one worked out that i I, I got my prologue and, and epilogue and um, so I don't I don't think it's, at this point, I'm already, you know, working on the next one that's in Charleston, so I'm not really thinking about uh, continuing this one. But, you know, it's my subconscious kind of works on things without me knowing about it, and I'll have ideas pop into my head, and I think, oh, yeah, I could do that, couldn't I? And then that's the next, the next book that's kind of on the the back burner that I'll I'll be um, tackling after that. So, um, you know, I I don't always know if it's going to be a Standalone, or you know, uh, um, you know, continuation, or whatever, a series. But I really, I thought this one was going to be. I, I like the idea of a standalone. I think because I've, I've, you know, I've got five books that are in two different series. I kind of wanted to have one that was that was you know totally different than the other ones, and you know, new characters, new storyline. And I love the way it came out. So I'm I'm pleased with it. When you're
2: creating. Uh a, a story or and getting your ideas together for a book as you approach writing a book do you come up with the story first and then cast it with characters like a movie or or do you come up with characters first and then write stories about the things that might happen to them
1: uh, well i I definitely start with the setting first and then that that introduces that kind of the storyline then starts to form based on the setting, so it, it kind of falls into place and then then the characters start to introduce themselves as they appear in the story and and it's funny that you mentioned like a movie because that's how I see it when I'm writing I it's it's like I'm watching a movie and so I'm just writing down what I'm seeing um, I also I, I'm I also don't do a lot of planning when I, when I write, I mean, fiction writers typically are either planners or what we call pantsers where we write from the seat of our pants. And that's, I'm in the latter category because I, I let the characters pull the story along and pull me along. And I'm just watching the movie and writing it down. Um, And it's, it's it's a fun way to write because I don't always know what's coming around the corner and um I I remember one time I was I was taking a break from writing and I, I I don't know, I was on a treadmill or something and I had my music going and I was just kinda reviewing what I had just written and then the then the movie started playing in my head and next thing you know I I I a car goes off the road and I realized I had killed off a character that I had named after a, a, a dear friend of mine. So I no, gasped. No. I'm like, Oh, Oh no, I can't, I can't do that. You know, but it's just, it's funny. I didn't see it coming, but it, it that's exactly what needed to happen there. And so then I had to kind of do some backpedaling and figure out, you know, how do I, how do I explain this to my, to my, uh, my girlfriend that I just killed her off in the, in the <laughs> book, but, um, but it's, it's just, fun to write like that because you don't necessarily know what's coming and I, I honestly did try um, to, there was one of my books where I thought I'm going to be more organized, I, I'm going to write more efficiently this time I'm going to write an outline well, you know, all through school when we would be assigned something, you know a writing assignment, I, I loved having a writing assignment I was, I was the kid next to you who was you know, doing a fist pump under, the, under my desk because I'd much rather do a a writing assignment, and then get up and do an oral report. But um, I, um, I, I, but if you had to write an outline, you know, in school, I, it, I thought I was going to stop breathing before I got the outline created. But in in all my wisdom, one of my books, I thought, okay, I'm going to write more efficiently. I'm going to write an outline, and it took me forever to come up with this outline. But I finally got it, and. Then, but then when I went to to sit down and start writing, my brain thought I'd already written the story, so I struggled to get that that story down on paper. I I will never do that again because clearly that's not how I how I write, how I create. And um, so I did try it, but it's, yeah, I I won't do that again. <laughs> but you know,
2: I often ask writers if they write to a. Um, to a schedule or if they if they binge write um, and and I get the impression that you're a binge writer and and I always share with writers this quote uh, from an interview I heard with uh, um, Stephen King it wasn't one of mine sadly but um <laughs> But they asked him, you know, do you write to a schedule or to a muse? And he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, a muse always shows up about 9 o'clock in the morning.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, that's awesome. Do you, yeah.
2: do you write that way? Do you decide when you're going to sit down and do it? And and do you have, like, I want to get this much accomplished, you know, however long it takes today? or Or do you just... Does the story sort of take you along with it?
1: I, you're right that I I am kind of all over the place. I, um, I, in fact, I I change where I where I write. I kind of move around the house, and um, but time of day is all over the place too. It, I could be writing late at night just because it's. It's flowing. I'm getting it down, and I often do use a word count. I usually will set a goal for a word count, which I, I, I need that just to have a, a you know a target to to aim for. But it could be it could be four in the morning that I'm writing it is because my rule is if you know if my eyes are open like if I open my eyes and it's even if it's still dark out it could be you know four o'clock in the morning my rule is I have to go downstairs and find my laptop and get back to writing, go, go pick up where I left off, you know, the night before or whatever, and just keep going. Um, I might need a nap later on that day, but, but I just, you know, I just have to keep at it. And, uh, I, I just, I'm not a schedule person. I really have to, I need variety. I need, I, you know, in, in when I write, where I write and, and I, and that's how I'm, I'm, it's how I work. It's how I can be productive, and you know, thank goodness my husband is so understanding and so tolerant of his quirky uh, writer wife, But you know, he just he just you know lets it happen, and and, uh, and <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all over the place.
2: Are you in a position where you're able to um, write
1: full time, for lack of a better way of describing it? Yeah. Yes, I am. Which is which is really nice. It's nice to be able because because it really has become a full time job, and it's not just the writing part of it. That's the thing. It's you know so much more than that. I mean, social media is such a big part of being a writer, and, and um and but the but the upside is, is it's a great way to stay connected with readers. You know, years ago, you know, writers didn't have that way to to stay in touch and. It's pretty exciting to, you know, you don't have to wait for a letter to show up. You you connect with um, social media, and so that's great, but you do have to stay on top of it. And, uh, you know, with the launch of The Woman Underwater, there was, you know, weeks ahead of time. There were a lot of, you know, social media posts, and I finally got smart enough to um, hire a social media Manager to help me with it, and she's been, you know, very talented, very, very organized, and and just she's been great to come up with the graphics and and um, so forth, and, and I, then I'll you know add my my uh, text to it, my my wording. Um, so that's helped a great deal because uh, you can't you can't do it all. Well. You know, you, you my my thing is you you got to stick with what you do best, and then hire other people to do what you either. Aren't good at or you don't want to do, and then you can really focus on what you you enjoy doing and what you're good at. So I try to stick with the writing, um, but it does take it takes a a village to to you know uh, kind of keep me uh, focused on the other things too that need to be addressed, and, and which is which is <laughs> That neat.
2: reminds me of uh, Mary Higgins Clark before she passed away was on my show a few times and and, um she talked about being kind of a luddite she just wasn't real tech savvy and yet in some of her books there's you know some technology that goes on and i said how do you how do you manage that stuff and she said i got a guy
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just have to have a guy yeah. or a gal, you know. Like, she uh, says, "I got yeah. a guy." That's uh, great. Good. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, yeah. And I've, I've,
2: it was interesting. I, um, you know, I, I, I imagine that other writers have told me that they do a word count. Uh, often, I mm-hmm. think of um, maybe they just communicate it in pages. Sometimes, um, but it's 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 funny because only writers count words. <laughs> and and I was talking with uh Debbie Maycumber, and I asked her if who she thought had more books, her or Stephen King? And she said oh. I think I have more titles, but I think Stephen has written more words. Oh and, and I thought she did the math on that,
6: you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well
2: you mentioned uh Naming a character after a friend and then killing them off um, mm. <laughs> do you do your uh, friends and and family do you base characters on people you know and and are people uh, always a little concerned around you sharing <laughs> certain information afraid that it might end up in a book
1: yeah they they should be concerned <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually have a blog that says you know don't don't get the writer angry. She may uh, put you in her next novel and, and kill you off, you know. And, and uh, but um, yeah, I, I do get my inspiration for characters not so much from people I know. Like I, I, I think I've probably used them all up. But well, actually, the the grandmother, the sweet, uh, adorable grandmother in the precipice series, I didn't even realize it at the time. But I, the inspiration for her was my grandmother who. You know i would go visit every summer and it took i think i was a couple books into the series and i was talking with somebody about it and it dawned on me that i had i'd really based that character off of my grandmother seems kind of obvious but it didn't it <laughs> didn't occur to me um but other other characters i often get from just complete strangers um like the millie in in the woman underwater she's Victoria's mother, and she is such a character. Uh, she's quirky. She's funny. She's annoying. She's you just you don't know what she's going to be wearing. You don't know what she's going to say. And she is based on a woman I had just observed at one of my signings years ago. She had walked in. It was wintertime time in Connecticut, and she'd walked in with like multiple layers on, and um, she was kind of, kind of walking slowly and peeling off layers and throwing each layer over an arm. And, and then when she got done, she kind of patted herself all around. And then she looked at me because she saw I was, I was watching her. And she said, I just wanted to be sure I didn't take off too many layers. My, my daughter hates when I embarrass her in public. And my <laughs> just laughed. And then after she walked away, I thought, oh, she is going to be a character in one of my books, and so I <laughs> jotted down some notes, and and so then I kind of, you know, elaborated on, on what what I had observed, and just made her into this fun character, and she, she really does provide some comedic relief in this tension-filled story, and I had one uh, reviewer say that she enjoyed Millie so much that she thought Millie should have her own book.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> so, wonderful. Hey. And I, I thought, well, you know i'm i'm enjoying this conversation so much i'm I'm thinking we almost need to have a separate show (laughs) Um, (laughs) because we're we're almost out of time and and it has just flown by and i appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners the book is uh called the woman underwater by penny gochin and uh it is a mystery thriller uh, penny i always give guests and we have one minute left um, an opportunity to let listeners know where they might find out more about you and your work past present and future do you have a website you can
1: share yes thank you uh, yeah it's just www.pennygochin.com and you know, penny like the like the coin and gochin is G-O-E-T-J-E-N um, And I'll, but you know the books all my books are available in Print and ebook on, you know, all the major uh, online retailers like Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. But I also encourage uh, readers to check their local uh, independent bookstores. I love supporting those uh, local community gems, and we love having them around, and we need to support them. So on my website, there is a link where you can oh, uh, cool. search for a uh, a local bookstore near you. Uh, but you can also order them. Well, you
2: know we, we uh, got I, we got to end it there but hi, thanks so Joe much penny
1: Lions,
6: all right thank you keep you. up the, the good work sumner program right now the covid 19 vaccines are available to millions of americans and soon they will be available to everyone
3: this vaccine means hope it will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her
4: birthday.
6: You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full
4: stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage.
6: In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when
2: it's
3: available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part.
1: This is our shot. Now it's up to you.
5: (laughs) Yo. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
3: So soon. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
2: It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell.
4: East Village Magazine.
2: Flint Institute of Music. Hello!
1: I'm Maestro Rick as Flint
4: Community School.
2: MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Fifth River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. The
4: Thomas Appliance. The Genesee
0: to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
6: I'm seven years old, standing up in my crib. <laughs> I kept falling out of the crib. I really, you know, I mean, they gave me a bed, but I kept falling out of it. And uh, I'm staying up there. My parents are going out, see, and they're just walking back and forth. We live in an apartment uh, building. There's only one bathroom. And there's my bedroom and my parents' bedroom. And they have to pass by my bedroom in order to get to the bathroom. And if the door's open, I can see them. And I know they're going out because they keep bumping into each other, you know. <laughs> boom, dan, boom, get out of the way. Boom, where's my sock? I don't wear them, you know. <laughs> so, uh, this is before babysitters, when parents did not believe in babysitters at all. You know, the philosophy was what? Let some stranger look after my kid. I'd just as soon leave him home by himself. <laughs> so uh, I'm staying up here. I got my sleepers on. I wore sleepers till I was 12. I love sleepers cause I used to put mashed potatoes in the bottom of my sleepers and make my mother feel them. Mom feels a dead rat, she'd faint. <clears throat> my mom would faint for anything, man. I used to get hit in the head with a rock and cover up the blood. She couldn't stand blood for nothing, man. I go home, stand right behind her. She's cooking. Mom, look, blood. She faint. So I'm standing up in the crib and they both come up, you know. And now, the whole thing to them is that they have to scare me to make me stay in the bed, see? They tell you some kind of a lie. That's what the parents used to do. There's a green monster out the door. If you get out of that bed, he'll, he'll eat you right up. You know. So, I'm a con man. I really am. I'm am I'm, I'm a good con man. Boy, I never went to school if I didn't want to. My whole thing was so beautiful. My mother used to come in, boom, open the door, and uh, and I'd be in the bed. You know. And she'd say, "Aren't you going to school?" And I'd say, Mother, is that you? <laughs> Just bring your face here so I can, I can touch it before I leave. Yeah. Never went to school one day. And always got out at 3.30 to play. Used to go up to her. 3.30. A miracle happened! I'm well! You're not well, get back in the bed. Honest to goodness, Mom, a little angel came right up on my bed, hit me with a wand, playing, said, go out and play. <laughs> and she had to believe the angel. I knew that. So anyway, I'm staying in my crib. And I said, now don't get out of the, the, the crib, please. She said, my my father, I love my father's uh, approach. It was basic, stay in the bed. That's all, you know, stay in the bed, see? I knew how to answer him, I will. And it, well, that was it, you know, he'd go and then I'd jump out of the crib, you know. Papa's beautiful, but mothers, they give you a half out. Stay in the crib because your life is important to this and that. Oh, yes, I've heard that before. But my old man would just come up, stay in the bed. Right, Dad. And he'd leave. He said his piece, you know. So now my mother comes in. I don't get out of the crib. Yes, mother, I'm tired anyway, I, I'm going to sleep. The Sandman's beating me to death and I'm so tired. Pardon me for not seeing you to the door, but I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, don't get out of that crib. Now the last time you got out of the crib, you went in and listened to that, that radio and heard that awful Lights Out program and it scared you so bad that you smeared jello all over the kitchen floor to make the monster slip if he came at you. And your father went into the kitchen to get a drink of water, slipped, and hurt himself. Now to make sure you don't you don't get out of his crib, we've placed over a hundred black poisonous snakes around your crib. And if you so much as put a toe out there, they're gonna bite you, you're gonna swell up and be dead until morning. I don't see no snakes. They're invisible. And she left, boom. I'm telling you right now. I'm so sick of this place, I'm going to run away from home. She's are always putting black snakes. Snakes! You get out of here! This is not your room, this is my room, and you just get out of here. I don't care who sent you in here, this is my room. I didn't ask you to come in here, nasty snakes. Snakes, do you hear me talking to you? Huh? Snakes? I gotta go to the bathroom! <laughs> Come on, have a heart on a guy, will you? Are you out there? Listen. Snakes? Now, now don't you bite. Don't you bite me. I'm gonna put put my toe out there. Don't bite it, just give it a little snaky lick. lick, 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 lick. Come on. Okay, listen, you could bite it just a little bit, but but don't put none of your juice in it. <laughs> Nothing. Well, go ahead, I bet you're not even out there. Go and bite it, suckers! Yeah, I know you wasn't out there. Lie to me, boy. I'm going to listen to the radio. We had a Philco radio, it was about six feet tall, had 287 knobs on it, of which only two worked, off on volume and the station selector. <laughs> The extra knobs were, if you'd lose one, you could replace them right away. You don't have to go to the store. And I loved to get scared to death. Anything that would scare me to death, I loved it. I loved Frankenstein, wolfman, and a mummy so much. I used to sit right up front. And then they would come at me, and I would squish myself under, into the orchestra pit. I hid all over the place. I'm telling you. I had pictures of them all over my house. Never looked at them. Was scared of them. There were three programs that were scary. One was suspense. That wasn't too scary. That was suspenseful. Then there was inner uh, inner sanctum, where the guy played the organ. (laughs) And then he would come in, good evening. And he was so happy to scare you to death. (laughs) And he opened that door. And then he told you a weird story about his Uncle Harry, who had lost his hip bone or something like that. Oh man! But what really scared me was when he closed the door. Boom, at the end, of the, I knew somebody was in the house then, and I started smearing that jello. No monster gonna get near me with that jello on the floor. I've tripped up many a monster with that jello on the floor. Yes, sirree, Bob. And now, I got my radio. I turn it on. You gotta wait, maybe, maybe eight days. There's a heat up, you know. A... Then I'm just. Oh, there's good news. Good evening. That's the guy. Go ahead, scare me to death. I'm ready. I'm ready. Scare me, man. Come on now. And welcome to. lights out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, scare me. I was dumb enough to do whatever the guy said to do on the radio. Turn your lights out. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. They're out, they're out. Go on, scare me to death. I'm ready. Tonight's episode is about a chicken heart. A chicken heart that ate up New York City. Yeah, go chicken heart, go, go get him, eat him up, chicken heart. Scare me to death. I'm re- I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> the chicken heart was kept alive in a laboratory in a vat, special solution, half blood, half sodium solution. <laughs> One day, a careless janitor knocked the vat over boom, 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 boom. He went to get a rag to clean it up. Boom, 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 boom. The chicken heart grew boom, 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 boom. six foot, five inches <laughs> and in search of human blood) <laughs> janitor came back, opened the door. <coughs> the heart ate him up. What? Go get him, chicken heart, go get him, go get him. <laughs> it moved out into the hallway. <laughs> Rang for the elevator. Fourth floor. Ah! <coughs> go get him, chicken heart, go get him, you will moved out into the street, (laughs) ate up all the (laughs) cabs, the Empire State Building, (laughs) ate up the Jersey Turnpike, (laughs) it's in your home state, (laughs) it's outside of your door, It's going to eat you up. Oh, I got my jello. star smearing it all over the floor. Get out of here, chicken art. I set the sofa on fire. Well, you won't come near smoking fire and jello. My father came in the house and What? What the hell's the sofa doing on fire? Coming out, the house chicken is gonna eat you up. Hurry up, okay. Zip! What chicken heart are you talking about? <laughs> what on the radio? Tell the idiot, turn it off. <gasps>
1: this was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.